SEP Fanfic Readings presents A Thousand Words by Olive Juice 28 Chapter 2 Unlikely Allies and Heartfelt Attempts Draco heard distant voices down the hall, but he knew it wasn't time for dinner yet, since the guard had been no more than an hour ago to get his lunch tray. He was curious as to why there were two people, since visitors were forbidden, and he hadn't even seen an aura down here since his arrival. His unasked questions were answered almost immediately as his cell door swung open to reveal a familiar, messy head of black hair and a pair of bright green eyes glinting behind round-framed spectacles. Five minutes,' barked the guard as he stalked back up the hall. "'Malfoy,' said Harry, nodding his head in the blonde's direction. "'Potter,' replied Draco, staring quizzically at him. "'What brings you here?' He tried to sound as casual as if he were lounging in the Slytherin common room, but knew he probably wasn't fooling his guest. One look around his barren, musty cell and anyone could tell he was far from comfortable. He also knew he must look grimy and unkempt, which bothered him irrationally under the circumstances. However, ignoring any discomfort and choosing not to engage in snide banter, Harry just leaned against the doorframe and held out a newspaper. "'I thought you might like to know how your mother's trial went,' he said. Draco's temper started to rise. What is this? St. Potter here to mock him? To throw his family's disgrace back at him? He stomped over, scowled, snatched the offered paper, and quickly scanned the front page. There was a picture of his mother, dressed in prison robes, but her head held high, being led through the ministry atrium by a well-dressed and official-looking man he assumed was an auror. The headline read, Narcissa Malfoy cleared of all charges. Draco felt the blood rush away from his face, and he jerked his gaze back up to Harry. How? was all he managed to get out as he staggered back a few steps. "'The details are covered in the article,' said Harry. "'We can discuss it next time, if you want.' He pushed himself off the wall, walked towards Draco with his hand extended, and said, "'You'll be next.' Draco stared at Harry's face, completely baffled as to what he meant, and it took a solid three seconds for him to figure out that he should shake the hand in front of him. When he finally did so, Harry gave a small smile. "'See you in a few days, Malfoy.' and turning around, he left the cell, the door swinging shut behind him. Draco couldn't understand. Nothing from the last few minutes made any sense whatsoever. He shook his head as if to clear the fog, sat back down on his cot, and began to read the Daily Prophet article about his mother. The Daily Prophet's coverage of the trials against the Death Eaters and Dark Lord sympathizers continues on. The first case being brought before the Wizengamot this morning was that of Narcissa Malfoy, wife of Lucius Malfoy, who was sentenced last week to life in Azkaban for his involvement with the Dark Lord, and mother of Draco Malfoy, the Hogwarts student accused of attempting to murder the late headmaster, Albus Dumbledore, over a year ago. The charges brought forth against Mrs. Malfoy ranged from being a member of the Death Eaters' inner circle, to aiding and abetting a vicious criminal, to participating in the torture and imprisonment of those who fought against Voldemort. In a shocking revelation, none other than Harry Potter, the boy who vanquished the Dark Lord forever, told the Wizengamot that Mrs. Malfoy lied to Voldemort during the Battle of Hogwarts, thus providing Mr. Potter the chance to face him one last time and rid the world of him for good. Mr. Potter told the court he believed her to be sympathetic to the cause of those fighting for the light, but was trapped by her position as wife of an inner circle member. He adamantly insisted that she was in constant fear for her own life, as well as that of her son, and that her bravery in that moment, when she lied to Voldemort, should be considered an act of heroism, without which the war would not have had the outcome it did. While not everyone in the wizarding world might feel quite as beholden towards Mrs. Malfoy as Mr. Potter seems to, the Wizengamot nonetheless took his words to heart and have released her from Azkaban with a sentence of five years' house arrest, the first year without her wand or any use of magic, no international travel during her full probation, and regularly scheduled check-ins with a ministry-appointed liaison. 
The Daily Prophet will, of course, continue to report on the proceedings of these trials, resuming later today with the cases against Theodore Knott Sr. and Victor Crabb. One can only wonder if Mr. Potter will come to the defense of any others accused in this courtroom, or if, perhaps, other members of the Golden Trio will make appearances. Draco was flabbergasted. If there had been anyone in the room to talk to, he would have found himself speechless. Harry had defended his mother. His testimony had allowed her to escape the confines of Azkaban, to return home. His heart was racing and he felt tears burning in the corners of his eyes. For the last two years, everything he had done had been for his mother, to keep her safe, to protect her as much as he possibly could from Voldemort's wrath. He had accepted that impossible task in sixth year because he knew refusing meant certain death for both of his parents. While he didn't have much sympathy for his father, his mother didn't deserve the fate of a convicted criminal. She never had, to his knowledge, tortured or killed anyone. She had allowed her home to be overtaken by a madman, yes, but she never participated in any of the missions the Death Eaters carried out. And now, much to Draco's chagrin, Harry Potter had come to her rescue while he, her only son, sat uselessly in a cell. A small part of him felt shame for that, but a much bigger part of him felt tremendous relief and gratitude. Not that he was ready to admit that to the specky git. He felt like he could breathe a little easier for the first time in months, maybe even years. His mother was safe. He would thank Harry the next time he saw him, since Harry had said, "'You'll be next.' "'He would be next? What did that mean? Was Potter planning to defend him, too?' "'Ha!' Draco let out a barking laugh before he could stop himself. Did the savior of the wizarding world really think he had clout to free him? Unlike his mother, Draco had actually tortured people under direct orders from Voldemort. He had also tried to carry out the murderous plot against Dumbledore— endangering the lives of two other students in the process, and he had let Death Eaters into the school. No, Harry might be living in denial over the list of sins Draco had committed, but he knew. He might not get sentenced to life in prison, since he didn't actually kill anyone, but there was no way he was going to get off as easily as his mother had. He resigned himself to this fact, and was determined to make Harry see sense next time he came by. After he thanked him, of course. After two weeks in Redland, Australia— Hermione was at a complete loss. Nothing she had done to lift the spell and regain her parents' memories had worked. At first, she had tried performing the spell secretly from across a small coffee shop. When that didn't work, she followed them to a grocery store where she was able to stand right behind them in the cashier line. When that too failed, she followed them to their home, cast disillusionment and silencing charms on herself, and waited until they went to bed that evening. She had talked herself into believing that attempting to lift the spell in a public place had been too stressful, and that she needed to relax and focus in a more private setting. She stood at the foot of their bed for over four hours, trying over and over again to lift the spell to no avail. By the final attempt, she was shaking from head to toe with repressed sobs and had to leave before she made herself known. She spent the next week researching anything and everything having to do with memory charms that she could find. She spent three entire days in the Australian Ministry of Magic's archives, but came up empty-handed. She then compiled a list of the most famous, most widely respected witchers and wizards, known throughout the world for their work relating to memory spells, and wrote to every single one of them. After sending out a little over a dozen letters, she spent another week simply watching her parents. They seemed happy, content with the life they were living. They were both in good health, had friends, and were actively involved in their community. Her mother was part of a gardening club and a book club and met her neighbor for a walk early every morning. Her father enjoyed fishing and had taken up cricket with local club. 
They had opened a small but thriving dental office, and truly seemed to be at peace. Hermione tried to convince herself that that was enough, that she would have to accept the fact that she chose to give them a new life, and that even if she couldn't be part of it, she should be glad that they were happy. Every time she had that talk with herself, though, her heart broke a little more. The thought of leaving them caused an ache and she didn't think she could bear, and her resolve to hold on to hope until she had heard from all of her correspondents grew stronger. On Saturday morning, towards the end of her time in their quaint seaside town, she followed her mother into a local bookshop. She quickly found the gardening section and grabbed a book about flowering plants off the shelf. She then located her mother a few aisles over, and slowly started towards her. Before getting obviously close, she snuck her camera out of her pocket and snapped a picture, wanting to capture her mom in this peaceful moment as she perused a book about growing your own herb garden. After putting her camera away, Hermione softly interrupted her. Do, do you know much about plants and flowers? She asked nervously, gesturing to the book in her mother's hands. Well, I'm not an expert by any means, but it's become quite of a hobby for me, her mother smiled, and glanced at the book in Hermione's hand. Are you planning to start a garden of your own? She asked kindly. Possibly, Hermione's eyes started to fill with tears. My, my mother likes to garden, and she's, she's not with me anymore, so she couldn't continue. I understand, her mother replied gently. Sometimes it helps us do something that we know a person we miss loved to do. Hermione nodded as tears started to make their way down her cheeks. Her mother looked at her with concern. Are you all right, dear? She couldn't account for the surge of protectiveness she felt for the young woman before her, but she knew she wanted to help her in some way. Yes, Hermione took in a deep breath, wiping her tears with the back of one hand. It's just hard sometimes. "'Would you like me to help you find a good book for a beginning gardener?' her mother suggested with a smile. "'Oh, yes,' breathed Hermione. "'That would be wonderful.' After helping her locate a suitable book, the women sat on overstuffed chairs in the corner of the shop for over two hours. They talked about books, flowers, spring in Australia, and Hermione soaked every second of it up like a sponge. At the end of their time, her mother insisted Hermione let her pay for the book she'd chosen. As they walked towards the door of the shop, Hermione stopped. I know this might sound odd, but would you mind signing the book, just so I can I can remember the very kind lady who, who helped me? The tears were back and threatening to choke her. Seeing her obvious distress, her mother immediately started digging in her purse for a pen. Of course! I'd be more than happy to. She flipped open Hermione's book and wrote quickly on the inside cover. To my newfound friend, may all your flowers bloom and bring you happy memories. Fondly, Monica. She handed the book back to Hermione, feeling a confusing but undeniable connection to her, and wrapped her arms around the emotional girl, giving her a gentle squeeze before pulling back and looking her straight in the eye. Your mother was a very lucky woman to have such a wonderful girl. Hermione felt as if her heart would shatter, and before she could say something drastic and cause a horrible scene right there on the front step of a bookshop, she nodded quickly, breathed out a strained thank you, and rushed onto the sidewalk, not daring to look back. Harry was true to his word. He returned multiple times over the course of the next few weeks as the date for Draco's trial grew nearer. At first, their conversations were brief and awkward, mainly focused on the charges against him and how those could be opposed. Draco spent almost half an hour ranting at his one and only visitor during their second encounter, trying to drill into his thick Gryffindor head that nobody was going to let him off. He'd done too much, and even he had to admit he deserved some sort of punishment. Harry sat there, infuriatingly calm, letting him bellow till he was hoarse, and then asked him one question. Do you want to stay here? 
Draco goggled at him. Was Potter stupid? Of course he didn't want to stay there. He glared at Harry, refusing to answer, but his silence was interpreted as a resounding no. So Harry simply countered, Then let me help you get out. Then he stood up, and he walked back out the door. Draco had been furious. The audacity of that messy-haired, smug-faced, overly optimistic prat. How could he possibly believe it would all work out like he envisioned, just because he wanted it to? Draco fumed over Harry's positivity and sure-footedness. The hard truth was that he was scared. Scared to believe that Harry could be right. Scared of allowing himself to grab a hold of even the tiniest shred of hope, only to have it stripped away by the sneering faces of the Wizengamot. No, it was much better, much safer, to be fully pessimistic in this. Better to hope for nothing, and maybe be pleasantly surprised in some way, than to imagine the what-ifs of the situation. Not that he would admit any of this to Harry. Merlin, no, it took every fiber of his being to look the Chosen One in the eye and thank him for helping his mother. To his credit, Harry didn't give any sign of superiority. He simply shrugged and told him it had been the right thing to do. Bloody Gryffindor. Draco hated feeling like he owed anyone anything, and he definitely felt like he owed Harry now. If he ever got out of here... No, not going there. He was stuck here, and maybe once the trial was over and he was proven right in his negative mindset, he would sit down and write Harry a heartfelt thank you and be done with it all. As the weeks had progressed, however... Draco found himself looking forward to his visits with Harry. He chalked it up to being starved for company, but their conversations now steered into friendlier topics like Quidditch, Hogwarts, the ridiculousness of Cornelius Fudge, and the audacity of Rita Skeeter. Harry brought him the newspaper regularly, as well as random bits of gossip about old classmates. As much as he hated to admit, Draco was slowly starting to consider Harry his friend, a thought that had earned him a loud snort and a full-body shiver for the first time it occurred to him. He learned more about the Weasley family than he ever wanted to, particularly the Weaslet, Ginny, as Harry was quite enamored with her. Draco would sometimes wonder, usually after a visit with Harry that had left him particularly optimistic, what it would be like to find someone to care about that way. He'd never really had any sort of dating relationship at school. There were girls he knew who wanted his attention, sure, but he always assumed it was the Malfoy name and fortune they really cared about. Then, of course, there was Pansy. She was probably the closest thing he'd ever had to a girlfriend, a thought that made him huff with derision. Pansy had clung to him like bow-truckles on a tree trunk. She fawned over him, showered him with the compliments and little gifts, shared her secrets with him. They'd even spent a handful of amorous moments in hidden corners and empty classrooms over the years, but none of it meant anything to him. He supposed, looking back, that she might have thought that they had something going on. He had no idea where she was now, and he honestly didn't care. She, like the rest of his so-called friends, had abandoned him that day. Only Crabbe and Goyle had stayed, and now Crabbe was gone. Goyle had taken off as soon as they had escaped the Room of Requirement. Draco hadn't heard a word of him since. That was another thing Draco reluctantly admitted that he was rubbish at. Friendships. Relationships in general, if he was being completely honest. He had been raised to maintain a smooth facade, to never let anyone know how he truly felt. As a result, he became an expert at ignoring his emotions and hiding them behind a mask of indifference. He held everyone at arm's length, whether family or housemate or other. His mother was the only exception to that. He couldn't remember the last time he had had a conversation with someone that didn't focus on some part of a plot or plan, or wasn't part of his own agenda to boost his status. Back in his early years at Hogwarts, he'd engaged in chats about Quidditch or class or pretty girls with his fellow Slytherins, but by the time he reached sixth year... That all had faded into the background as every waking thought was consumed by the Dark Lord's expectations. With a sharp intake of breath, 
He realized that his conversations with Harry were the most normal things he'd experienced in the last two years, possibly even longer. This filled him with both irony and dismay. How much time had he wasted? How much of his life had he thrown away? It wasn't lost on him that at his lowest point, the one person willing to help him was the very one he had been so determined to best for all those years. If this was one of those life lessons his professors had been so fond of referencing, he was pretty sure he had failed, and Potter was graduating with honors. Chalking it up to the list of things he was determined to change about himself if he ever left his cell, Draco drifted off to sleep with a sense of renewed purpose thrumming through his veins. On Hermione's last day in Redland, she decided to carry out one final plan before her port key was scheduled to leave. Up before the sun, she made her way to the fishing pier not far from the street where the bookshop was that she had spent time with her mother in. She headed to the bench at the far left end of the pier, knowing she would find him there. And there he was. Her father was already baiting several hooks. His cooler, bucket, and tackle box set out around him, humming a contented little tune as he worked. Silently, she sat down on the bench about ten yards away, just watching him. She waited until he had all his lines in the water, and the sun was slowly peeking up over the horizon before she approached him. Leaning against the railing several feet to his left, she breathed a quiet, "'Lovely morning, isn't it?' Looking a little startled at the random girl addressing him, her father quickly smiled and replied, "'That it is! You're up early, aren't you? If you're not fishing, that is,' he chuckled genially. "'Yeah, I suppose so.' Hermione responded, smiling at him. "'I'm heading back home to Britain today, so I just wanted one more—' Her breath hitched in her throat as she met the kind, warm eyes that were studying her face. "'One more moment,' she finished with difficulty. "'I understand,' he said genuinely. "'It's a beautiful view.' He looked at her for a moment longer, unable to account for the feeling of familiarity he suddenly had, and without thinking, he asked, "'Have you ever fished for flatheads? They're tricky little buggers, but make a decent fry-up.' Hermione chuckled, knowing just how much her dad enjoyed his fish and chips. No, I haven't ever fished at all, to be honest. Well, we can't have you leaving here without that experience, now can we? He stated with authority. Come here, and I'll give you a quick lesson. And so, Hermione found herself standing beside her father for the next three hours as he happily explained all the ins and outs of fishing for flatheads, as well as his favorite recipes for them, and several funny stories about his wife's dislike of cleaning fish. She cherished every second— and when she knew she was approaching her time to leave, she took her camera out of her pocket and asked if he wouldn't mind her taking a picture with him. He agreed, of course, which she knew he would, so she set the camera on the railing and set the timer. Once they had finished, she put the camera back in her pocket and turned to face her dad. "'Thank you. So much,' her eyes filled with tears, but she was determined to say this. "'You have no idea how much these past few hours have meant to me.' With that, she flung her arms around him, giving him a tight squeeze. He chuckled and patted her head lightly. No problem, my dear. I enjoyed your company. She pulled away reluctantly, giving him a watery smile, and headed back to the other end of the pier. She didn't turn around as she went, afraid that if she did, she wouldn't be able to leave. But as a result, she didn't see her father wipe his eyes as unexpected and unexplained tears had filled them. <laughs>